You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, workshop of wordsmiths and wombats wanting wontons and waffles. This is Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. Today's show is episode 149. I am your humble host, Karen, and we are your quaint quartet of courtly kings and queens that constantly conquer countless collection of quizzes. Oh. I'm Colin. I'm Dana. And I'm Chris. That was a listener submitted. That was good. Oh, yeah, I've, had, I've had chicken and waffles, but not yeah. wontons and waffles. Wontons and waffles. Just was, yet. Just I was the... like, they're not usually positive about us. We're not usually kings and queens. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And you said it was listener. I was like, okay. Yeah. Right, more... right, right. We are your swarthy, yeah, swarm slumpy, of swaggering, slimy. Yeah, <laughs> That's true. They're never, they're never that positive. Right. Uh, yeah. Nervous nitwits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll still read them. It doesn't yeah. stop. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. It just clearly didn't come from us. Without further ado, let's jump into our first general trivia segment, Pop Quiz Hot Shot. Here I have a random Trivial Pursuit card, and again, it is the 90s version. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. Favorite. All right. And again, it is 1995. Oh, I got to yeah. randomize these more. But here we go. You guys have your Morning Zoo Radio buzzers. Pink Wedge. What Watergate vet? advised radio listeners to shoot at federal agents' heads, quote, because they've got bulletproof vests on. Whoa. Uh, who, what? Colin? Uh, is that uh, G. Gordon Liddy? Yes! Yeah. Huh. Oh, intense. He's, he's an intense guy, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, no one would intense accuse him of being dude. a subtle, subtle no. dude, no. Here we go. Yellow. What online retailer got a flood of sales once it changed its name from Kadabra.com? Dana. Amazon.com. Amazon.com, formerly known as Kadabra. Brown Wedge, what Saturday Night Live New Age therapist joked, when you assume you make an ass out of Uma Thurman? <laughs> <laughs> Chris. Why would that be Stuart Smalley? Stuart yeah. Smalley. Gosh darn it, people like me. Orange Wedge, what was the something white that Pamela Anderson wore to wed Tommy Lee in oh, Cancun? Wow, wow that is nineties. A uh, Colin. I'm gonna guess a bikini. Correct. Yeah. Oh yeah? Yes. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. I was gonna guess a cigarette wrapper. <laughs> One nation issued fatwas. Requiring beards for men, forbidding women to wear white socks, and making kite flying illegal. Mm. Colin. I'm going to guess Iran. Incorrect. Mm. Really? Chris. Saudi Arabia? Incorrect. Uh, I don't know. 95, something topical. We can just, we can just, we can just keep naming them, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. It is uh, Afghanistan. Oh, uh, uh, okay. 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 All right, last question, Blue Wedge. What Austrian skiing sensation was dubbed Das Monster and the <laughs> Herminator? Oh, uh, um, oh, it was Colin uh, Herman. Uh, Correct. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, her, uh, uh, Nelson. Nelson. Oh no, he wasn't. He was. What was Harry Nelson? Harry Nelson. <laughs> Harry Nelson. Herman Kane. <laughs> 
No, I can't no. remember his what last name. Meyer? Meyer. Mayer. 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 M-A-I-E-R. Herman Mayer. Okay. Oh. Das okay. Monster. Wow. Good almost well, memory of that. You know? Yeah. Good. If we were, yeah. For 95. Your That's 1995 hard. knowledge is very good. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good job, brains. Well, listeners, you, you can't see this, but on the table, there are a bunch of these Star Wars droids that Colin brought with him. Yes. You know, you know, I love to collect Star Wars figures. And in particular, my sort of the subspecialty is uh, I love all the robots and it's the droids. Can, it's it's, yeah. it's kind of difficult uh, living, if you're in an apartment to collect every Star Wars figure. I've certainly spent the most effort and display space and, sadly, money <laughs> On uh, on the Star Wars droids, in particular, even of the subspecialty of the subspecialty. Wow. Really, uh, these droids I've got in front of me here. You see the little three-legged ones. Mm-hmm. You know, like we've got our friend R two D two, probably I, the most famous. I know that. Even the one, yes, yeah. the one that looks like more like a garbage can than yeah, an yeah, 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 a garbage can or a mailbox maybe with a little round head. Yeah, these yeah. are these are astromech style droids. Okay, like, all right. Within yeah. within the Star Wars universe mm-hmm. to really nerd out, rather than the humanoid style. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Like, like C-3PO, right, you know, right. who, who would be, he's a, he, a, a protocol droid, so he's made to look like, you know, more humanoid, and mm-hmm. the astromech mm-hmm. and also the agromech droids, you know, they were designed to work in and around spaceships, and in and around farms, and things like that. And many times throughout the podcast, we've heard about Chris's undying love for collecting video games. Indeed. I actually, I actually hit a really interesting milestone in the old collecting yeah. Business. Yeah. 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 So, um, I've been working on buying all of the uh, licensed uh, NES games, the games that were made for the Nintendo Entertainment System, but that were actually approved by Nintendo, as opposed to you know the ones Bootleg. that weren't approved. Right. So the mm-hmm. the official list of licensed games. Now, there's one that I've mentioned on a very old show uh, called Good Job Brain, probably I think in year one, called Stadium Events, that now costs about eight thousand dollars just for the cartridge. Mm. Mm. I'm good. Uh, I, I think I'd rather have $8,000. However, I uh, did just finish acquiring everything that isn't stadium events. Oh. So that's 670. No, sorry. 676 of 677 games. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That, that is, when you get it down to just that last one yep. unicorn of a, yeah. Yep. It's as complete as it's going to get. So with you two collector, what do you call it? Hoarders, we, we, I think. We, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think is the, that's how it's listed in the, it's a more uh, respectable name the, for the medical books. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this week, we're going to celebrate collections and collectors all around, and especially uh, you guys, because you guys definitely are, I think. Serious. Yeah, yeah, you guys are serious business. Uh, so this week we're talking about collections. I got one from Spain and two from Japan. I got a couple from Israel and Azerbaijan. I got a planet from Poland, but none from Sudan or from Fiji or Uzbekistan. So whenever I hear about, I mean, even though I collect video games and I've collected, I've, I've actually collected a lot of things in my life. Like I, I, I should, I should start out by saying that 
I mean, in in like first grade, like some kid was telling me at recess about quote unquote valuable rocks, you know, (laughs) and introduced me to the idea that like rocks had names and that you could collect rocks. And that was what just, you know, the the, the (laughs) light bulb goes off in my head. And the next thing you know, I was collecting rocks and I collected coins and I collected Mad Magazine and I collected He-Man figures. Finally, I settled on video games because it's my career and I might as well just merge the two. Um, But whenever somebody talks about collectibles... Um, I, I always go to the quintessential example in my brain, which is if, if you, uh, I'm going to put it this way. If you grew up in America and you grew up in the 1970s, 80s, 90s, at some point you probably had anywhere between zero and two grandmothers. <laughs> and there is a good chance that one of them, maybe even both of them, you'd be at your grandma's house and you'd be playing around, bored, and whatever it was you were doing. And there would probably be in the in the living room um, like some sort of a hutch or a you know, cabinet. And if you if you even got within the same orbit as this thing. If you even breathed the same air as this cabinet, immediately it would just be like, stop! Don't go near those! Those are the Hummel figurines! Those are worth a lot of money! And you'd look in there and they'd look at these like crappy Cabbage Patch Kid looking <laughs> porcelain, you know, like six inch tall sort of porcelain figurines of children. The children doing children type things. Exactly the sort of toy that you want to take out and start smashing them together. Or <laughs> so what was up with these Hummel figurines? What are they? Where yeah, do they come from? What is up with everybody's them? Everybody's grandma seemed to have these things. <laughs> and importantly, were they really worth a lot of money? It does begin with someone named Hummel. But what was interesting and that I did not know is that um, Hummel is not the name of the maker of the figurines. It's oh. not the name of the company. Oh. Ah, interesting, right? The plot, Artist? The plot thickens, yes. <laughs> well, the company is Gable, G-O-E-B-E-L, established by Franz Gable and his father in 1871 in Germany, and they were just a maker of porcelain objects. Now, in 1909, uh, Berta Hummel uh, was born in Bavaria, and she was in. She was an artist. She was an illustrator. Um, she actually went to art school at that time. She's like, legit. Yeah, which not a lot of girls did at, at that time, that place. And people really thought she was going to go on to a huge art career. Uh, and then surprising everybody, she joined a convent after oh. art school hmm. Uh, hmm. and took the name Sister Maria Innocentia. And she joined the convent and basically just started teaching art to the local children in the schools that the convent uh, ran. Whoa, um, okay. But in her spare time, she kept drawing, and she had kind of landed on drawing very colorful, very detailed, gorgeous illustrations of these round-headed, cherubic children at play. So, by now it's the early 1930s. The other nuns kind of realize, oh, hey, you know, Berta Hummel's drawings they're they're really good we really like them and she's just she she keeps them to herself you know and but the nuns uh convince her or or i don't know if they convince her to do it or they just do it they send them to a publisher publisher gets very interested and so they're actually books that are pretty popular of berta hummel's illustrations of children Hmm. and also postcards like art on postcards in the 1930s was really big and it is in postcard form that franz gable maker of fine porcelain encounters um, Hummel's illustrations uh. and makes an overture to Berta Hummel and to the convent basically like oh we want to oh. be the official licensor it was a licensed product mm. we want to license Hummel illustrations and make 
porcelain figures of your illustrations. Interesting. So, what's also happening in Germany in the 1930s? Uh, can't can't think of anything, uh, anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Berta Hummel was not a fan of the Nazis, um, and uh, she actually did some political cartoons that were criticizing them, and Adolf Hitler uh, became not a big fan of Berta Hummel. Huh. Uh, uh, not happy with her. Uh, there was a Nazi-run state magazine that wrote a article about her and said that there is no place in Germany for artists like her who make German children out to be brainless sissies, huh. quote, brainless oh. sissies, Whoa. and, and quote, hydrocephalic club-footed goblins. <laughs> <laughs> so Hitler... Not into humble figurines <laughs> no. at all. Zing. Um, meanwhile, the Nazis are seizing a lot of religious institutions, and they took the convent that she was a part of, and they took over a lot of it, and they actually took 50% of the revenue they were mm. getting from oh the Hummel figurines. But luckily, so much revenue was coming in, that's the only thing that actually kept the convent going. going. Um, oh. Berta Hummel's health declined, and mm. af- shortly after World War II ended, she died at 37 years old of oh, tuberculosis. Wow. And now that was about the time that Hummel figurines really started to take off because World War II is over. A lot of American soldiers are stationed in Germany and they find these Hummel figurines, which mm. are very popular there. Uh, and they're like, oh, souvenir. these are perfect gifts. Oh, they're small. They're very <laughs> unique to Germany. We can send them home for mom and sis and they'll love them and they'll think they're so cute. And they start sending these things home. And this is how we start seeding mm. in America, all across America, this first wave of Hummel figurine collectors. And it is this is really one of the first, if not the first, like popular culture post-war Nationwide. collecting. You know, it's the war is over. We have disposable yeah, income. Yeah, there's stability. Yeah, yeah. There's peacetime. Like, you can start blowing money on stuff like this. And people start putting together Hummel figurine collections. So by the 1970s, Hummel collecting is, is in, in full swing. And it's... It's at its peak. Then you start to get the sort of irrational behavior that starts with any kind of collecting genre is that the the maker begins producing you know mass quantities of so-called collectibles because they know they're going to sell tons of them to collectors who are buying everything and because completists right because obviously you know Hummel stuff keeps going up in price forever so (laughs) you clearly (laughs) gotta get on this and for a while the figurines did really have some value I mean especially the ones that were made in the 30s especially the ones that were made in the 40s they really did um, like how much like like roughly like oh oh I mean any you know 500 600 700 dollars okay they could be worth you know the the good ones could be worth a lot of money and right. get up into four figures pretty quickly for some of the really desirable early ones. But this, but the seventies and, and really the eighties was its peak. What happens with all collectibles like this? Uh, they all follow the same path. What happens is the people who collected them start dying. <laughs> and, um, yeah. but the problem is, and of course it's silly because grandma loves these things and maybe your mom loves these things, but that the, this, you know, us, you know, we who are sort of inheriting a lot of the stuff now, we do not value them anywhere near as high they're they're kind of cheesy to us like they're not actually things that we they're want kitsch. Yeah. yeah and as soon as that starts happening across the board prices plummet and so we're, we're right now with hummels we're in this interesting transitional period where hmm. the the quote-unquote book values of these things you know the the price that's still in all the price guides uh-huh. yeah. and the actual amount of money you get if you try to sell it are wildly out of whack there's an uh, official hummel price guide that you can yeah. go buy and it's just like Oh, you know, the the Merry Wanderer, this early Hummel figure, that's worth $200. There was just an auction to sell for 10. Uh, uh, there was actually I found a live auction that just took place in November 2014 in Ohio. Uh somebody it was somebody's advanced Hummel collection of 
thousands of pieces that they oh, were man. auctioning off. Everything. It's like, oh, this one, this book value is $240 and this sells for 15 bucks. Mm. Um, then you might say, well, Chris, maybe nobody showed up at this auction in Ohio. No, the really rare stuff, the really rare ones, the ones yeah. that are really actually hard to find, those did uh, go for book value and sometimes they even outsold book value. Like there was one that was listed for $4,000 and that went for $47.50. Um, and in fact, the the Gable figurines that seem to have held their value a little bit better are the Disney ones. Uh, the license to which they secured in 1950 and they've been making them ever since. Those have gone down too, but not as much because people, you know, in our generation still want to go buy Disney stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And speaking of Disney... What? Uh, <laughs> I want to preface this. Um, a couple weeks ago, I, I I talked about this on the show before. Um, Mouse Adventure, which is a puzzle cryptography oh. scavenger hunt in Disneyland. Yeah. That happens twice a year. And, of course, a good job, brain listeners, Ryan and Colleen, uh, who first invited me last year, I think, or maybe two years ago, to be on their team. And I've been on their team for like the, the last, I don't know, year. We had our spring 2015 mouse adventure out of a hundred or, or so teams. We placed second place. Nice. Oh my gosh. Wow. It, and this That's is, awesome. th- this is a thing where like, we're just happy if we got to finish yeah. totally, totally. the quest because it is it is hard. It's a lot of... This is the of most things. hardcore of the hardcore. And it's like 90 degrees outside. Yes. And you're slogging Super around hot. Disneyland. Yeah. Um, the, the funny thing about uh, becoming friends with uh, listeners Ryan and Colleen is that they are so into Disney pin trading. Oh, Disney pin trading, yeah. I, they kind of opened my eyes. I knew, <laughs> I knew Disney parks yeah. had pins. Like right, I knew right. people you collected knew you, pins. Yeah, you get the pins and whatever, but but this is so hardcore. So let me set the scene. We were in Disneyland. Ryan and Colleen are like, "Hold on, let me let me check. Let me go check on the pins." And we walk to Rancho Zocalo. Which is the Mexican oh, restaurant yeah. uh, in the park? I think mean, uh-huh. next to Thunder Mountain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In in uh, Frontierland. In Frontierland, and this is at night. And I kid you not, I thought I was walking into like a drug deal. <laughs> so so it's at night. Yeah, there's these tables outside Rancho Zocalo. Yeah. Just people with trading. bins yeah. and binders and little flashlights. Like, <laughs> like, what you got? What you got? It was, it was so weird. Pin trading is, is a very big deal. And these pins are kind of like enamel, decorative pins, maybe like average size about an inch that you can pin on a lanyard or mm. a backpack. It has a little back. Right. Mm. It wasn't until 1999, part of the Millennium Celebration, that the pin trading exploded. There's always been pins, but Walt Disney World and Disney Parks started kind of gave the push. Gave the push to people Uh, to pin trade. And how they did it was... Yeah, because if they can get that rolling, they can sell a lot of pins. Exactly. What they did was they would supply cast members, employees in the park, with a lanyard with a bunch of pins. And if you, as a park goer, has a pin, you can just go up to a cast member and be like, hey, can I check out your pins? And you trade with them. Uh, yeah. And they have to. Yeah, and one they have to. One to they will trade you whatever pin they're um, As wearing. long as you're, you're nice and not a jerk and, you know, follow oh. the rules. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so they kind of really oh, push fun. it. And it is, 
a Disney approved hobby. This is yeah, it's the weird thing because like you it, can't it's like little kids can wear costumes in a Disneyland but like adults can't, right? Like yeah. like Disneyland is very locked down as far as what you can do in Disneyland. You can't like you can't go into Disneyland and you know, film a movie. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many things you cannot do in Disneyland, but this is the really interesting thing where they just, I mean, they will let people haul bins of pins Mm -hmm. into Disneyland and conduct this commerce, basically. Like, they even have a little area for it of trading. trading. Technically, you're not allowed to buy and spend money right. to uh, another pin trader right. and be like, let me buy that pin off of you. Yep. You can technically only buy from the Disney stores, right. the licensed stores. Okay. But trading, yeah, that's so that's like, the key. Yeah. Three Donald Ducks for this. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. but no money's yeah. changing hands. Yeah, it becomes yeah. a... Uh, it becomes like this currency. sort of like yeah it does yeah. it does because you start bringing in pins in lieu of money and yeah mm-hmm. yep. yeah because right away when you're like oh you could trade with a cast member it's like oh buy the cheapest pin you can find yep. and then go to the cast member and Absolutely. find the pins that you like and yep trade yeah so when I went to Walt Disney World I did do that tour and I went down into the tunnels which is the staff kind of their their systems how they run Disney World is through the basement tunnels that only employees are allowed to go and also the people who go on the special tour. The thing is, I always thought when I went to Disneyland and I see all the employees with the lanyards and the pins, I thought it's theirs. Like, you're like, oh, these are the ones I like and sure, I'll trade, you know, whatever. No. When they clock in, there is a little window and they are assigned Get a out. lanyard. <gasps> There's a person be like, this is your today's uh, lanyard. They seed it. Yes. Yeah. And then they wear the lanyard and then working in the park. And then when they're clocking out, they turn in the lanyard. Hmm. And my guess is they're making a detailed what got traded, taking a list sure, of like yeah. what pins uh, we started data. off with. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. there's that's a master real, spreadsheet. Real good data. Pins oftentimes are sold in you know sets, or there's different sets you can make of the pins. So if they send a cast member out there with various pins of a certain set, and then you trade for one, you're more likely probably to then go to the store and buy the pins that complete the set that sure. you just traded for. Yeah, they can really manipulate that to like get some pins out there that would stimulate pin sets. And the good thing is, uh, the good thing is, you can never be a completionist with this. Mm-hmm. You're right. only because there's so many of them. There might be some people out there who who, who might, are. Yeah. If, if you have the time and the money, yeah, the time well, and, and the money, space. Yeah. and luck, the yeah. money, the yeah. money. Yeah. I mean, oh, mm-hmm. there's so many of them. Most people who are into this hobby, they really just collect the things they like, the sets they like. Oh, yeah. you know, like uh, uh, Ryan, he likes uh, Stitch, so you try to collect all Stitch stuff and. Uh, I'm just not a collector, but I do like to have pins that I personally like. So Orange Bird? So, yes, yes. I have (laughs) almost all Orange Bird. Um, (laughs) But here, this is one that Good Job Brain Listener and my teammate and my friend Ryan give to me. Here, let me pass it around. <laughs> I can't uh, even see it, but Colin's eyes are bugging. It's oh my goodness! This is this. First of all, it's huge. It's it's like the size of a silver dollar practically. It's got Minnie Mouse, and there's a little bubble on it containing material of some kind. Oh. Yes. So there is a special series called a piece of history, and it's not only a pin. It has a little plastic see-through globe that has literally a piece of whatever it was in this case a building uh, yeah of a building in this case it is a club 33 piece of wood so it's a little shred of wood a few tiny little shreds of wood scraps of wood it's it's pretty nuts in terms of not just like your little 
pin or a little yeah. character. Like, this has bubble and a piece of thing, and they get really, that's really the, elaborate. I mean, that's the thing. If you take that down yeah. to pin trading, they'll give you a whole bin of pins for that one <laughs> yeah. if you want, but I don't imagine you'll ever get rid of it. Uh, seriously, if you are in Disneyland... And uh, <laughs> at night, especially, yeah. go by Rancho Zocalo and just observe. <laughs> you're just like, wow. Yeah. And there's kids and they're uh, older folks, like, you know, just serious with the little flashlights. What you got? What you got? <laughs> you know, they're flipping the yeah. books and it's like, yep. whoa. Yep. It's funny. I had no idea that happened at Disneyland yeah. at all. And Me neither. I, I, <laughs> I, was like, yeah. whoa. I was in the like in the gift shop and it, there were a lot of pins there and I was like oh okay I guess they're pins for people like souvenir things but it's like no no that's part of the thing you can talk to the cast members now about their pins yep who knew alright I have a quiz for you guys it's about celebrity collectors oh. so celebrities are people, people like people who collect celebrities like you and me <laughs> oh. no it's oh. about oh. celebrities who collect stuff Celebra- oh okay. they're just stuff. like us just celebrities like us. they're also people they're just like us like <laughs> with lots of money people. yeah <laughs> and can afford uh, right uh, right right yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you some details on um, what they're collecting and maybe a little background on who they are and you have to buzz in and tell me which celebrity this is okay okay all right this singer has dated quite a few models but th- that's not what he's collecting. He collects model <laughs> trains. <laughs> Singer models. Dated quite a few models? Yeah. Colin. Uh, Justin Timberlake. No. No, he doesn't date that I guess I would models. say over mm. like over 50 years, he's oh, dated like six models. Okay. Oh. I, uh, Chris. Mick Jagger. No. Oh. George Clooney. No. Singer? Leonardo singer. DiCaprio. Oh, singer. 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 Over singer. 50 years? Yeah. Well, I was going to guess Mick Jagger, too. Yeah. Models, yeah. Paul McCartney is Rod Stewart. Oh, Oh, yes. He collects trains. Yes, he collects model trains. This Canadian actor, film producer, and film director has a huge collection of Gibson guitars. And I looked, and he's not in any bands. Canadian Canadian actor, actor, producer, director? So the Canadian part is a little bit of a trick. Because you might not realize he's Canadian. He's on very American-ish type tv show oh i was gonna say mike myers no i have a terrible clue for you guys horrible clue okay all right he has more than 24 gibson guitars oh Oh, uh keeper sutherland Sutherland. yes hey that's good okay this film director screenwriter cinematographer producer and actor whoa collects tv show themed board games and his favorites (laughs) are dawn of the dead and universe I th- I think that's uh, Quentin Tarantino. Yes, it is oh, Quentin Tarantino. Okay, that's so, okay. Yep, yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep. yeah. Yeah, I remember reading an interview with him once, and he was saying one of his favorite uh, experiences was playing the Welcome Back Cotter board game <laughs> with John Travolta. Because there's like a little Vinny Barbarino. Yeah, he's like, I got to get you to play this game with me because he's that kind of a That's nerd. so yeah. Quentin. It's yeah. so Quentin Tarantino, yeah. This Academy Award winning actress's first name is Laura, as in Laura Ashley, and she is obsessed with collecting antique linens. Antique linens? How random. Yeah. First name is Laura? Her first name, her real first name is Laura. Oh, her real first name is Laura. But that's not Laura. her stage name. <gasps> oh, Academy Award winning actress. Yeah. Uses a stage name. Yeah. Meryl Streep. No. Her, her real name is Mary. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh. Laura. Okay, so who's got a uh, who's who, who doesn't? She's kind not... of fancy and southern. Fancy and southern. Yeah. Oh, so, like Lynn. That's why. Uh, 
Fancy and Southern. Catherine right. Hepburn. No. Fancy. She's kind of she's more modern. She's younger than that. Southern. It is. <laughs> Who is it? It's Reese Witherspoon. Oh, yeah. she is. Yeah. <laughs> she is fancy. I didn't know she that wasn't fancy. her. Uh, is that like is Reese her middle name or just totally made up? Uh, it's one of her names. Okay, yeah, she has a lot of names. All right. Too. So this this artsy actor uh, and director now I would say collects metal art and he spent about a million dollars on a rainbow colored racetrack painting entitled. Entrape by Neo Rausch. Karen? Just by your clues. Yeah. James Franco? Uh, no. Oh, oh, but, but you're right. You're right. You're right. Artsy yeah. actor. Artsy. Mm-hmm. He likes he's metal art. Metal he's a, art. He's an act. What, what else do we know about this person? Um, He's an actor. I think he's directed stuff now. Yeah. Is it uh, Shia LaBeouf? No. He also <laughs> likes architecture. Huh. <laughs> Karen. Brad Pitt? Brad Pitt. Yes! Oh. But he collects metal art. I'll keep this one basic. This Australian actress collects Judean coins. Australian actress. Ancient coins. Ancient Australian act. Nicole Kidman? Yes. Okay. Oh. Okay. She's the only one. Yeah. yeah. Like well, Lucy Lawless, maybe. Uh, yeah, Naomi Watts. Yeah. 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 Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Lucy Lawless. Huh. Lucy Lawless. Isn't she Kiwi? I'm sorry, Lucy Lawless. If she is. She yeah. like Apologize to New Zealand. Yeah. They are not Australia. Yeah. They don't like that. Okay. So Nerdist booked this Oscar award-winning actor on their podcast by sending him a 1934 Smith Corona portable typewriter. Karen. Oh. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Thank you, no Collector no. and aficionado of antique typewriters. He has an yeah. app now. Really? Yeah. What is it? What, what, what do you what do? What does it do? It's, it's, uh, it replicates the experience of writing on a typewriter <laughs> on an iPad. Oh. Yeah. That's pretty cute. Yeah. Like, okay. tick, 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 like all the noises and right, stuff. Right, right. And I don't think you can, like, you can't, like, delete characters. Like, you have to X them out. <laughs> I think, I, think yeah. I like that. Yeah. I think, that's making it annoying. <laughs> yeah. So this actor collects a lot of things, but one of his most notable collections is of clown pictures, including one supposedly painted by the murderer John Wayne Gacy. Oh. Whoa! So he's a little goth. Actor and actor, musician. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Johnny Colin. Depp. It is Johnny Depp. Oh. Yes. Good, good guess. Wow. Yeah. It's like, makes yep. sense. Yep. Yeah. 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 Clown pictures. I wonder if he has a room. Like just a room full of clown, clown pictures. Oh my god! Oh my god! Like like late at night, you're stumbling through Johnny Depp's house. You turn on the light, and you're just surrounded <laughs> by yeah. clown paintings. And, this, and the like place of honor is one by John Wayne Gacy. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I fell down a wiki hole reading about John Wayne Gacy. Oh my that god! Is, don't do that. Dark, that is dark, brutal. Dark, yeah, dark, brutal. Dark. Dark. Good job, you guys. Wow. All right, let's take a quick break. A word from our sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. 
Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. And we're back. You're listening to Good Job Brain. And this week we're talking about trivia and facts about collections. So if you play pub quiz long enough... Uh, as we have, you will uh, have. you will it's been long eventually run into the questions of the format. What does a blank collect? Oh yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, you get these a lot. And of course, there are, you know are some of the standard ones, uh, and then there are always the really weird ones that we have to try and reason out. You know, I have to say, like the more the more I look into like these specialty terms and the specialty names for various types of collectors, you find one thing in common that virtually all of them were suggested by an enthusiast from oh. within the yeah, community. Yeah, sure. uh-huh. sure, yeah. Sure, sure. Which is why some of them tend to be a little cheap. A little on the nose, maybe a little tortured in their yeah. uh, linguistic roots. A little patty, yeah. self-patty. Yeah, on right. You may have heard. Uh, what does a phrenologist collect? <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, I did not remember this one, Chris. Do you seem to remember? Yeah, cheese. Yeah, it, uh, cheese, cheese labels. Like oh, okay. cheese labels. Cheese okay. Labels. So I was like, that's a little bit hard to collect cheese. Yeah. yeah. Well, you yeah. know. Yeah. So now, it. now you'll see a lot of these types of words show up on on internet lists of crazy names. You know. That you did crazy collections that you didn't know had names, those kind of things. Um, I've tried to I've tried to keep my list a little more pure here for mm. you. So I've only included in my quiz words that are in OED, the Oxford, oh, the Oxford okay. English Dictionary. Yeah. Okay. Now, now that does not mean that these words were not suggested by uh, enthusiasts from yeah. their community. Um, but this is a, a little more. I, I feel like it's passed a little bit of a higher bar. It's yes. at least been around long enough to be accepted to, by the the, the big book, if you will. Yeah. So let me, let me start off with one or two that, that appear on a lot of trivia lists, word lists. Uh, I hope you guys will know this. What does a philatelist collect? <laughs> Philately. Chris. Stamps. That is a stamp collector. Yeah. Philately. And this is one of the older sort of specialty collection names. So philo, mm. you know, is it's in a lot of words. Uh, love, friend of, lover of. Mm-hmm. Uh, It basically comes down to atello, Mm A-T-E-L-O, roughly means like an exemption from payment. Oh, okay. Because that's what stamps were. The ultimate illusion is, right, the stamp means you've paid your tax. You've paid Mm -hmm. your... It's a really obscure one. Because that's what the... Because, you know, you put the stamp on the the letter, it shows that you've paid the price to... Yeah. Philately. Uh, Philately. Mm -hmm. Goes back to at least the 1860s. Yeah. Uh, The second one, shortly after philately on these lists, is always... uh, uh, Numismatics. What is a what is a numismatist? Numismatist collects uh, Karen and Chris together. Coins. 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 Yes, that's right. I remember, as I said, I collected coins. So that's I learned right. That, yeah. I learned that word. Oh, I'm a numismatist. <laughs> no, no, you have a jar of pennies. Yeah. <laughs> numismatist uh, comes from numisma. Numisma, uh, both both in Latin and in Greek, very similar word, which just means money. Especially Mm -hmm. coinage, coinage in particular. Ah. Getting a a little bit more uh, ramping up in the difficulty here. What does an iconophile collect? Iconophile. This is another old one, and don't yeah. don't overthink these. Don't overthink oh. these, Chris. Paintings, um, illustrations, illustrations. In, in the, yeah, oh. yeah, engravings in particular are very common, right? Icons. Yeah, right. Yeah. Icons, religious icons. Those would be included, right? Images, oh, images, illustratings, printings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know, painting starts to get a little fuzzy, right? Oh. Um, but just from icon, meaning image, mm-hmm. likeness, right? 
Uh, we had this one at Pub Quiz one night, and I remember, Karen, you were particularly proud yeah. that we figured this out. See if you remember. What does a philumenist collect? P-H-I-L-L-U-M-E-N-I-S-T. Philumenist. Dana, I think. Matchbooks. It is matchbooks. Match covers. Yeah. Matchbox covers. Yeah. Right. We're like philately fill, so that means love. Mm-hmm. So lumen. It's like, lumen. well, you don't collect light, and you don't really collect fire. Yeah. You don't collect light bulbs. Because, like, what's an actual hobby that people do? And they Matchbooks. Yeah. Yep, yep, you're right on it. That one's actually fairly recent. It's only back to about the 1940s oh. is when they start seeing that one. The 19 years. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. 19 years. Right, right. What does a vexillologist collect? Oh, oh, Karen, Karen, right on top of it. Flags. It is flags. Yes, this is another one that will show up a lot at pub quizzes. Yes, there's no way to, yeah, you know it or you don't. And this one, you know, I think we tried to reason it out the very first time. It's, I mean, it basically just comes from vexillum, which means flag Flag, in Latin. So if you don't know vexillum in Latin, you're not going to reason this one out. Yeah. Again, a fairly recent one, only to the about the 1950s does that one start showing up. Again, from within the vexillology community. Oh. All right, last one. This one's a little tricky. I'll give you a hint on this one. Uh, what does a deltiologist collect? Deltiologist. And I'll give you a clue. It comes from deltios, which is Greek, which is a diminutive for writing tablet. So, so it sort of means like little writing tablet. Deltiologist. This goes back to about the 1940s. Hmm. Karen. Postcards? It is postcards. Uh. Very good. Yeah. Deltios. Deltiologist. (laughs) Postcard collection. It's like iPhones? Post it. Yeah, I was like, I was like, smartwatches. (laughs) Right, yeah. All right. Well, very good. All right. I think any any and all of these can appear uh, in your local pub quiz and have been OED certified real words. You know, what would be funny is, is I'd like to make up words. For different random collecting things. So as I say, for almost all of these, just if you are a prominent member of an enthusiast collector community, just put that word forward, and eventually if you get other people to Mm -hmm. use it, it'll stick. It's as simple as that. Put it in the newsletter. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Or your zine. (laughs) On your zine or your forum. Mm -hmm. So who loves e-books? Like, I do collect Kindle books, I guess. Oh. Digi. Biblio. Electro. Electro bibliophile. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, some electro bibliophile is a collector of e-books. Yeah. What if you have a lot of Steam games? <laughs> it's like a what's a hot water? Hot, yeah, uh, like vapor, right, vapor ludologist. <laughs> Steam. I'm a vapor ludologist. Yeah. What does that mean? So I have a lot of games on Steam. Steam. <laughs> Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast, and my name is Bruna. And you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. But that is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MK Ultra? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. 
So, as we've now said five times on this podcast, I collect Nintendo games. I collect all video games. But before, um, Nintendo collecting is the hot thing now. Ten years ago, it was Atari collecting. Because hmm. the kids who were kids in the 1970s are turning 30. and they're, you they, know, money. They, got recap- money. they got money. They want to recapture the games of their youth. And much like uh, Hummel figurines, we're seeing a big drop in the prices of Atari games. Oh. Not the super, super, super rare ones. You know, the real, like, kind of almost one of a kind in some cases which will still go for higher and higher amounts but the ones that you know what used to be like you know a four or five hundred dollar game now comes in under a hundred dollars because people are leaving the collecting field mm-hmm. and the kids today want, really- they want nintendo they don't want atari so i don't actually want to talk about atari game collecting because there's another story about atari collecting that is very very popular in the hobby everybody kind of knows about it if you're into atari collecting and this is the sort of thing that that atari collectors just dream about in their their wildest flights of fancy and and it's actually the story not of video games but of a of a small fortune in gold and jewels oh we have talked occasionally about the great video game crash of 1983. Yes. Now, just prior to that, in 1982, Atari was riding high. They had more money than God. They had wild ambitions, crazy, crazy dreams about what they were going to do with Atari. And uh, from a from a game design perspective, certainly, and certainly from a marketing blitz perspective, Atari's craziest game was called Sword Quest. Sword Quest. <laughs> sounds, Sword, sounds fantasy related. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but Sword Quest was sort of the evolution of games like Adventure, you know, and it was a sort of a, you know, action slash puzzle slash adventure type game uh, for the Atari 2600, but it was not merely a video game. It was a proposed suite of four video Whoa. games. Whoa! <laughs> Crazy. Uh, Sword Quest Earthworld, Sword Quest Fireworld, Sword Quest Waterworld, and Sword Quest Airworld. Oh. Each of the Sword Quest games would come packaged with an elaborate comic book produced by DC Comics, which was owned by Warner Communications, which owned Atari. Hmm. Um, and this told the story, the backstory of the game, the fanciful fantasy backstory of the characters. And beyond that, this was the promise, that the, the Sword Quest game and the Sword Quest comic put together were an elaborate puzzle. Oh. oh. And, and if you can put the clues together correctly, find the correct clues within the game that led you to clues within the comic book and entered your answer, you could get invited to a competition at Atari where you could win one of four prizes, one for each game. Earthworld, the prize was the Talisman of Penultimate Truth. <laughs> oh, my day, Which was a... A round talisman made of 18 karat gold Whoa. in which were inlaid 12 diamonds and one each of the 12 birthstones Just what, of the what Zodiac. a really big nerd needs. <laughs> like a, a, a talisman? A massive. It, 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 was, it was worth, in 1983, $25,000. Now, again... That's that's in today's dollars. That's about sixty thousand dollars. But that's not accounting for the increase in the price of gold. gold. Mm. Um, it, it, it it would be now incredibly <laughs> worth a lot of money. If you want, that's just one. That's, that's just, just earth. oh, that's yeah. just one. 
If you won oh. the Fire World competition, you would win the Chalice of Light, made of gold and platinum, also inlaid with diamonds and other precious gems. Water World, the Crown of Life, similarly, gold, diamonds, etc. <laughs> Twenty-five thousand dollars in nineteen eighty-three money, and if you uh, won the Air World competition, you would win the Philosopher's Stone, which was a gigantic hunk of white jade inside an ornate gold jewel encrusted box. I can't imagine why this industry bottomed out. Oh, it just seems, on the so, face of it, so sustainable. It's so, it's so, so logical. Yeah. So yeah. each of these, so now we're at $100,000 okay. in prizes. Finally, of those four winners, they would have a final competition, and one of them would win the Sword of Ultimate Sorcery itself. <laughs> 18 karat gold handle and a silver blade okay. also encrusted with jewels oh, and worth by itself $50,000. Is that impossible to make? Yeah. Well, you don't use it. It's a, it's a decorative oh, yeah. sword. It's, oh, okay. it's decorative. It's yeah. purely like, decorative. Yeah. Uh, and the prizes were all created by the Franklin Mint, which apparently at the time was also owned by Warner Communications. Okay. Oh. So, Tari holds the first contest in 1982 and it was so difficult... Uh, that only eight people submitted correct answers of all the thousands and thousands of people uh, who oh. played this game. Uh, and one of them, a guy named Stephen Bell, won uh, the uh, talisman. The talisman of penultimate truth. Uh, the second game, Fireworld, they held the contest. The contest was easier. In fact, too many people won. And they had to, they had to whittle it down with an essay contest. <laughs> why, why do you love Fireworld? Firewall was the chalice of the light. The chalice. An right, essay yeah. contest. Why yeah. I deserve the chalice of light. Yeah. <laughs> I would uh, be so yes. mad. <laughs> I'm like, this is homework. Like, this I is all won. about <laughs> chalices and video games and fire. And now I've got to write an essay? So again, spend, sparing no expense, uh, they fly 50 people uh, to San Francisco. Uh, uh, they actually had the, the contest was at the Holiday Inn in Fisherman's Wharf. <laughs> which you may, I know where that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, and there was a guy, his name was Michael Rideout, and he won the chalice. Okay. Then everything went to hell. <laughs> uh, the game industry crashed. Uh, retailers uh-huh. were stuck with unsold copies of Atari games that nobody wanted, including Sword Quest. It kind of sucks the joy out of it because you know you can't win the contest. Well, it's so like here, the moment so, the contest is over, you're like, well, I'm uh-huh, not playing this game But the game contest, again. see, the yeah. game was still on because they had promised these people a shot at the Sword of Ultimate Sorcery. <laughs> oh, yeah, duh. So they can't just stop it. So Sword Quest Waterworld. Um, was the third game in the series. At this point, retailers didn't want Atari games, but Atari was still selling games to its diehard fans through its mail order, like Atari Um. Club mail order business. So they did, in fact, release Sword Quest Waterworld. Um... And in fact, and that was one of the, um, the the rare Atari games for a while. It was going for many hundreds of dollars. They had the Waterworld contest. It was all in the box. Um, and you could send in your entries. They only got as far as picking out the finalists, the people who had sent in correct entries for Waterworld. And at that point, Atari mailed out a letter to all the finalists, basically offering to settle, to buy them out... <laughs> And end the contest. They said that they would pay each of the two... The two guys who had won Earthworld and Fireworld, they said, we will give you $15,000 to walk away. Um, <laughs> and then to all the people who had who were going to go and play in the Waterworld competition, a smaller amount of money. And everyone agreed to cash out. 
and not go for it. Figuring, Smart. you know, 15,000 yeah. versus getting the sword, you know, or <laughs> yeah. versus a one in four shot at the sword. I might as well take the 15,000 bucks. So there was no final round. The prize was never awarded, and Sword Quest Air World was never made. Oh. So, where is everything now? Yeah. <laughs> As recently as uh, 2005, people tracked down Michael Rideout, and he was still in the possession of the Chalice of Light. He still had <laughs> safe deposit box. Okay. Enlightenment, I don't think, has come to him. Uh, uh, nobody has been able to track down Stephen Bell, but, uh, oh. but apparently he actually had the talisman of penultimate truth uh, melted down <laughs> and sold it for the scrap value of the gold, which is probably a lot of money at the time. And as for the crown of life and the philosopher's stone and the sword of ultimate whatever um sorcery sorcery Chris. excuse me yeah. whereabouts unknown oh Whoa. so they made them the contestants saw them the rumor is that the the tremiel family the founders of commodore who bought atari out the rumor has always been that they have had them <laughs> yeah. in their possession but they've but that's never been proven and they've never been seen oh. again. they're on the wall in yeah, someone's basement no, someone's they're game not even room. on the wall yeah. they're in a box <laughs> and we have one last segment, Colin. Proceed to nerd out. Yes, Karen, I'm not only going to nerd out, I'm going to bring you down with me. So, <laughs> oh. <laughs> as, as discussed at the top of the show, I, uh, I collect, spend much time, money, shelf space on little tiny droids, these little tiny robots. So as with a lot of collecting figures or otherwise, you can buy stuff new in stores, uh, but I buy most of my action figures on a little site called eBay. The Is that safe? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you use money? I'm so far beyond whether it's safe at this point. It's <laughs> like, it's like, that's it's unsafe. I'm not climbing back yeah. out of this oh, yeah. pit at this point. Um, yeah, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, it's convenient. Um, but it also means I got to, you know, set up search terms and look out for resellers and not pay too much. And maybe someone says a figure is rare and it's not really rare. Uh, and so, you know, when you shop on eBay, uh, you have only so many characters you can put in the title and the oh. description. So there are lots of code words and keywords and abbreviations. Yes. Uh, and, so, and may I just say, yes, yes. Uh, having seen this before on eBay... Even if you truly believe your item is in excellent condition, <laughs> do not put X con <laughs> in your subject. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I have a quiz for you guys about abbreviations and terms related to action figure collecting awesome. on eBay. All right. Oh, action figures. Yeah. Wow, specific. Now, these aren't these don't necessarily you don't have to know anything about Star Wars to get these. These would apply largely, I imagine, to many types of collectibles. Got it. Possibly even video games. Chris, you may be at a little bit of an advantage here. Yeah. We yeah. shall see how it goes. Let's find out how this goes. If I if I'm on eBay and I'm bidding and it's it's a loose figure. What's a loose figure? What does that mean, Chris? <laughs> it's, it's no longer in the package. It is it no longer no in the package. Yes. yes. And in fact, almost all of the figures that I buy on it's, eBay are yeah. this kind because I you it's know not that the joints are loose. Right. No. Right. Is, or that they are of questionable moral character. Yeah. All right. All right. Here we go. No. I'm ramping up a little all bit. Right. What's a repaint? A repaint. I might say, yeah, that droid is cool, but it's it is a repaint, Dana. The paint came off and they painted it back on. No, no. <laughs> oh, I know. The, oh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Karen, so you talked about this with the He Man. Yeah, like it's the same. It's basically the same uh, shape but with a different skin. Exactly, right, mm -hmm. right. It's what they would call in the collecting field, it's the same mold. It uses the same okay. mold, mm -hmm. so it's physically the same. Yeah. They're just painted with a new color scheme. 
Um, what does it mean if I'm on eBay? I'm buying a, a new figure, and the seller tells me it's unpunched. This figure, this figure, it's, it's unpunched. Yes. What does that mean, Chris? It's, it's the um, so of course they hang the action figures on pegs, and there's a little hole in the card to put on the peg, oh! but you have to punch out the cardboard in that hole um, to put to hang it on the peg. So if it's unpunched, it means the, it the cardboard even. is still there. Oh my god, uh. who cares? Oh, oh my god, yeah. <laughs> really? There is so there are actually they used to do that for Nintendo games. They didn't shrink wrap them. They put hang tabs on the back of the box, and what you do is you'd flip up the hang yeah, tab. Yeah. So then, like like at the like FAO Schwartz or whatever, they like hang it up behind the counter, and the game would be hanging there on the on the on the tab. And so oh man, people go nuts if the if there's a hang tab that's never been. Punch. Oh, yeah. Yes, these are all things to look for as a collector. Um, all right, a few abbreviations here. We'll close this out here. I will give you the abbreviation. You tell me what it stands for. Okay. What does VHTF stand for? <laughs> Karen. Very hard to find. Very hard uh, to find. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And yes. I. <laughs> you know, sometimes it is, sometimes it ain't. <laughs> sometimes are exaggerated. Yeah, yeah no. these things are sometimes uh, not quantifiable, which is great if you're a seller. Yeah. What does MISB stand for? MISB. Chris is Chris is holding back here. Yeah. I can tell. Uh, Chris, uh, mint in sealed box. Oh. Mint in sealed box. Yes. The item itself is mint. The box is not necessarily described as mint in this in this particular case. Right? Yes, but the box could actually have damage. Yep, okay. yep. The, the box. box could be beat to hell, yep. yellowed tape, you know, window punched in, but yep. the seal's still on there. Right. Yeah. The item, <laughs> item is All right, yeah. and last one, last one. What does M O B stand for? M O B. I might be buying a. Oh. Loose figure that is also M-O-B. box. Mint out of box? Correct, oh, yes. Okay. Mint out of box, yeah. right. These are all just the little shorthand. These are occupying valuable real estate in my brain. You see a NOS a lot? Oh, new uh, old stock? New old stock, yeah. Like, it. this is brand new. It's been sitting in a shipping box. It never, it. Hit, it never hit store shelves. No one's mm. ever owned it. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> you guys. It's like so... Yeah, so much of your real estate of your brain is is for this hobby. That's that's awesome. All right, and that is <laughs> awesome. Is awesome. A great word. That's not what I thought you were gonna say. say. Yeah, I'll, I'll awesome. take I'll take awesome. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Awful. What's, what's sad and awesome? Cool. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Aw, sad. <laughs> All right, and that is our show. Thank you guys for joining me, and thank you guys, listeners, for listening in. Hope you learned a lot of stuff about the weird cultures of collecting, names of collectors, celebrity collectors. And you can find our show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and on our website, goodjobbrain.com. Thanks to our sponsor, Jack Threads, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. 
Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.